And I titled this message, What You Look At Matters. And we're going to talk a little bit about vision tonight. What do you expect out of your life? See, kids, they always have you know, dreams and aspirations of what they want to be when they grow up. You ask a little kid what they want to be when they grow up, and they will tell you anything and everything from fireman to president to rap star. I mean, there's nothing that they won't hold back of what they want to be when they grow up. And as parents, we tell our kids when they're little, the possibilities are endless in your life of what you can be. See, we never start out as kids of going, you know what, one day... I hope to work in a job that I hate, making no money. I hope one day I live in that bad area of town in that run-down, nasty old apartment. I hope one day I have a terrible marriage and I go through divorce. I hope one day that I'm addicted to drugs. See, we don't start life out that way. But for some reason, somewhere along the line, we allow the possibilities and the potential that we had as children fade away. See, maybe you didn't have somebody that could speak good things into your life when you were a kid. And when you were getting into those teenage years and into that young adulthood, you didn't have somebody that could help direct and guide your life. But what I've understood through the Word of God is that we were all created in the image of God. So we all have the potential, whether somebody spoke it over you or not, we all have the potential and the possibility for the greatness that God has designed for us to be. There was a little girl, and her grandma had said to her one day, she said, honey, listen, I want you to, uh, I, I want you to understand that I want you one day that I want you to get around some good folks that are, they're going to take care of you. They're going to take good care of you. I want you to be around people that will treat you nice. I want you to be around people that will send you home with food. I want you to be around the kind of people that will treat you well and will recognize the work that you're doing. So I need to teach you how to fold this laundry because I want to raise you up to be a very good maid. And the little girl said to her grandma, she said, but grandma, that's not what I want to do when I grow up. I see bigger things from my life. And Oprah goes on to tell the story. She said, I saw something in me, even as a little girl, that I knew that I wanted to do big and great things. And see, it doesn't matter. You know, if you're a maid, be the best maid that you could possibly be. Learn the business. Learn your customers. And maybe one day you'll be able to expand into your own business. But we, why are we allowing people to relegate our life into this, this um, manufactured wall, this manufactured box to say, this is all that you are capable of being? See, we're continually, continually bombarded with facts that get us to settle for, for the life that we weren't meant to have. The truth from God's word can take you from the ordinary to the extraordinary. But see, we use phrases like, well, you don't know my past. You don't know the parents that I have. You don't know the abuse that I went through. You don't know the struggle and the pain and the hurt. And I can tell you tonight, I don't, but God does. And nowhere in my Bible, 
And nowhere in your Bible does it say that if you have gone through junk in your life, if you've gone through some things in your life, then that means that you cannot have a victorious life. It's what are we looking at that matters. See, we get so focused on looking at what we don't have, who we're not, what everybody else has. We look at our bank account. We're looking at what the doctor's report says. We're looking at the, the, uh, the, the, the abilities that maybe we feel like we don't have on the inside of us. So how could we ever do anything? When I was a kid, I used to, when everybody else was playing outside, I would go into my room and I would put all my, um, my little uh, stuffed toys and things like that to, you know, on, on the bed and I would put them in rows and we would play church. And I would get up with my Bible and I would, you know, pretend to be preaching the word of God. But the thing about it, and see, at the time as a kid, I wasn't thinking too much about it until I got a little bit older, and, you know, and, and then I started realizing I had, you know, a speech impediment. I couldn't say ours. Really cool when your name is Robin, right? So if you were to ask me as a little kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, who you are and what you want to be. I would have stood up and said, my name is Robin, and I want to preach the word of God. And it would not have been really pretty to, you know, be standing before you now and trying to preach the word of God and all my, w and my R's sounding like W's. And I know, you know, if you have one, pray over it. I used to have to go to speech class for a whole year. I would go to speech class to learn how to say my R's. And just me and the teacher. And she would play games to help me. And then I remember being so embarrassed because every, you know, there was like four kids who couldn't say their S's. They had lisps. And I used to be like, I wish I had one of those. Because at least there was like four of them. They all got to go play together. The teacher would come in and go, uh, you know, Robin, come, you know, it's your turn. And I'd have to get up in front of everybody. And be like, I'm the one who can't say my R's. Wobbin is out, you know. <laughs> so there was things on the inside of me that was always telling me that I was not going to measure up to do anything that, that would have me in front of people. But if all my time and energy and focus would always be on the negative, it would begin to frame my life within the confines of that vision. My dad used to tell me when I was... Uh, when I was like a teenager, uh, he would say, listen, you got champagne desires on beer wages. Have you ever heard that kind of statement before? And I used to be like, and he wasn't trying to be mean, but I remember thinking, what's wrong with champagne desires? I had a sip of beer once. I hated it. I, I, I was like, because I, what's wrong with wanting better? What's wrong with wanting more? What's wrong with somebody it, it, for, for me to read the word of God and tell me that I am more than a conqueror and then actually believing that I'm more than a conqueror to do things that I didn't think I could ever do before? Genesis 15, 5, they're going to put on the, board, on, on the screen, it says, then he brought him, we're talking about Abram, outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. So here's Abraham had been given a promise about being a father of a multitude. And somewhere during the process, somewhere during that waiting period, he began to lose the vision. So God had to remind him to look again. 
I heard someone explain life this way. They said our life is like the parentheses, the words in the parentheses in a sentence. That you have all this stuff before the parentheses, then you've got that little space of parentheses, and then you've got the end of the sentence. That our life is just like this little piece in the middle of an eternally long sentence. And Satan's job is to keep your mind and your eyes focused on what you're experiencing right now in those parentheses to convince you that you can never change. That it's, 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 it's as good as it's ever going to get. That it's too late to do anything about it. If I would have done this before or if I shouldn't have done that before, maybe that he's trying to get you to feel like, you know what, I'm past that age. I should have done this a long time ago, but because I missed out, because I made a decision not to do it back then, that my life now has this permanent direction that it's going that's against the potential and the possibilities that God has had for me. And that is a lie that Satan will whisper to you over and over and over again. Oh, I got to tell you this. This hurt my heart. So I was at, I was at Goodwill. Where's my Goodwill girls? I was at Goodwill. And I was, and you know, you know, have you ever had those days where you just feel good? You know, you look in a mirror and you was, it's like, it's all working today. The outfit's working. The hair is on point. My makeup, praise God, I put it on with both eyes, you know, today and so I'm standing at the counter, and I just got some really cool things, and I'm putting it up, and, and I'm standing there, and I'm all, you know, I'm just like, it's a good day. And this girl, bless her heart, behind the counter, very confidently looks at me and says this, do you qualify for our senior discount? Oh, oh. I said, well, how old do you have to be for this senior discount? And I think she realized what she'd done. So then she starts to go, um, uh, 50 or 60, I don't know. So I looked at her back and I said, I'll be 55 next month. Okay, no, wait, uh, okay, hold on. That's when all of you were supposed to gasp. Okay, we're going to practice again. We're going to practice. We're going to practice because I really, listen, I told you my heart was hurt. It needs healing. You're supposed to help me. All right? I'm going to say when I told her that next month I'll be 55, I need you all to go, oh, no. All right? So I looked at her and I said, next month I'll be 55. Thank you. I feel so much better. <laughs> I said, next month I'll be 55, and she looked at me, she goes, I'll give you the discount. Now, if it wasn't for the fact that I like a good deal and I like a good discount, I probably would have walked out, or I would have said, no, thank you, but I said, thank you very much, I will take that discount. I got out to the car. <laughs> I said, Olivia, look up, what is their senior discount? She looked it up, she said, 60. I said, praise God, I'm not old enough. For their senior discount. <laughs> but we live within the confines of these parentheses if we allow the devil to put us there. Yeah. 
that we've missed our mark, that we've missed our opportunities, we missed the chances of, that God has had for us. How many of you are ready to turn the page into a new chapter of your life? See, God tells Abram, you're getting caught in the parenthesis, and you're getting caught in this few years of time. You're focusing on what you don't have, so I need you to go and look again. And how many of us would have been obedient yesterday if God would have spoke to us, I need you to go outside, and I need you, I want, I want, I need you to go out there. I've got to show you something. How many of us would have had excuses and complained yesterday, but God, it's, have you not looked at the wind chill factor, let alone what the temperature is? I mean, why would you ask me to go do, it's dangerous, God. It's out of our comfort zone, Lord. We would have come up with so many different excuses and reasoning to keep us indoors. Why do we get so comfortable in the situation we're in, yet we continue to complain about it? Pastor and I, we'll do this to each other all the time. If we're complaining about something, we'll just look and go, then change it. And nothing ticks you off more than when somebody makes you stop complaining and makes you start doing. But that's exactly what our God is doing to Abraham, and that's exactly what God does in our life. Ephesians 3.20, and they're going to put up in the King James, but I want to read out out of a different version. It says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or imagine. I love that word, imagine, according to the power that works in us. See, we bought the lie that imagination is just for kids. So we can't imagine that we could have that job. We can't imagine that we could have that good marriage. We can't imagine that we could start that business. We can't imagine our kids serving and loving God. We can't imagine walking in health. We can't imagine living in that beautiful house in that great neighborhood. We get so comfortable in our discomfort that we believe that that God can do for everyone else but us. Are you comfortable in your discomfort? Now, there's a time of, of waiting, and I, we, that's a whole other thing. We could talk on patience. We can talk about waiting on God. But in those waiting periods, can we allow ourselves to begin to dream again? Can we allow ourselves to be able to imagine again? You know, if you're having problems falling, falling asleep at night, one thing that I would, uh, that, that, and I still do to this day, if I'm having problems falling asleep because there's, you know, I, you, you, you go to bed and all of a sudden your mind just starts running a million miles a minute. It's thinking of that, you know, what you got to do at work tomorrow. It's thinking about that bill that you have to figure out how to pay. It's trying to figure out what are you going to do with your kids tomorrow and the fight you just had with your husband. And, 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 and as you begin to just focus your eyes on God, as you begin to just think upon him and think upon the word of God. But then there's sometimes that even with that, that I just begin to get like, okay, you know, have you ever been like, you know, God, I'm just, that, that verse. Okay, what's that verse, God? It's a really good one. And I know God is, you know, and now all of a sudden I'm like, now I got to get up and go look and see where the verse is and where it's found. And I should, as a pastor, I should know every verse in the Bible and I should know and be able to recite it all. So then I'm in turmoil over that. But sometimes I just lay there and I just imagine a vacation. And it's a good one too. 
I mean, I've, listen, I've even imagined vacations without my family. Have you ever done that? It's a, I have a book and a beach and, and somebody who brings me food. And that's all that I need. And I find that when I begin to do that, I fall asleep like that. When I begin to just imagine, God, you know, I'll just be like, God, you know what? I just, what kind of house would I love to have one day? And I just close my eyes and I begin to imagine. And some, there's something about when you're in that place of falling asleep that your mind will just be able to flow with good stuff. But what, what do we do when we're awake sometimes? We go, you know what? I just, you know, God, I thank you. One day I'm just going to live in a nice house. And then immediately the, you know, the enemy comes and goes, have you seen your credit score lately? What kind of down payment do you have? Do you know what the interest rate is right now? Do you know that it's a seller's market, not a buyer's market? But, uh, and we get so, con you know, so consumed in all of that. We have to learn how to imagine again. And in Genesis 13, 14 and 15, it says, um, And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. See, we have to see for more than just for ourselves. If Abram would have said, and if the, if the Lord would have said, when he said to Abram, I want you to look from where you're at and look as far as you can from the place where you're at. Look all the way northward, southward. Do that 360. Look everywhere. And every place that you see, I'm going to give to you, and not only to you, but to all your descendants. And the problem is, is that we take um, we, we take our vision and we keep it so small and so compact because that's what we've put ourselves in in this little box and we're not looking in with eyes of God. We're not looking with the vision. So what happens is, is that we're confined to this, this way of living and now our descendants after us is also can be confined to that same kind of living. The property his descendants were to inherit depended on how far he could see. See, the Word of God is full of promises. It's like a good steak. We all have been fasting. A good steak, right? The Word of God is like a good steak. But so many people settle for hot dogs. The hot dogs are good. But if you put a steak and a hot dog in front of me, I'm going to eat the steak. See, because we can't see the promises of God alive in our life, we will take the promises and we will mush them down, we'll dissect them, we'll, we'll categorize them, we'll reorganize them till there's something that's left that resembles meat, it resembles a promise, but it has now become man-made and manufactured. We've got to take the Word of God for what it is and for what it says. We settle on and rely on what we can see in the natural, and that's how we frame our thinking around that. See, everything around you started with vision. It started with an imagination. And that was then put onto paper, and then it, was be then it became reality. This building is here today because we imagined it. We imagined as we were making our confession of what kind of building that we wanted. We imagined having the chairs and having, you know, the platform and parking and all this kind of stuff. We began to imagine it. 
We began to imagine when we wanted to remodel. See, we were over in that part of the building right there in a slope theater. And in this right here was three theaters. And then we had the two over there. And they were nasty, scary theaters. I mean, it was like the rapture had come. People left things everywhere. There was like upstairs and in, in where the office is, there was like a mattress. I'm like, who needed a mattress in a movie theater? Those old teenagers. They, we, we got hazmat suits just to clean the place out. But we started to imagine what our lobby was going to look like. We started to imagine it being built out. Can you can, can, think of what it would have been like for the workers to come to, be, to do the remodel and to come and on that day and say, okay, now, so what are we supposed to be doing here? And we go, oh, I don't know. We just want change. But we don't know what we want. Well, what kind of floor do you want? I don't know. Well, how big do you want it? I don't know. How many bathrooms? I, uh, I don't know. We, have to begin to, we had to begin to imagine it, put it on paper, begin to plan that thing out. And that's exactly what you need to be doing with your life. Begin to imagine the life that God has for you. Put it on paper. Begin to confess that thing. And then begin to walk it out. And we do it by faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith sees something that isn't in the natural realm yet. Faith will change your belief system, and it will stop you from believing that you can't. How many, you know, when our kids would say that, we would, we would correct them all the time. We would tell our kids, and we want you to do that. I can't. No, you can. And we're so bold to tell our kids that, right? Well, I can't. I, I, I can't brush my teeth. Yes, you can. You know, go clean your room. I can't. Oh, yes, you can. And yet when it comes to our life, God goes, you know what? I want you to start that business. I can't. I can't. We can. And God is encouraging us to do those things. See, faith gives you the ability to see farther than you thought was possible in your life. Matthew 19, 26 says, But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You know, the news, whether, you know, whether it's news, fake news, whatever. But if you watch it, it's designed to give you the negative. They might leave 60 seconds at the end for a good little story. But that's always at the end, and it's super quick, and, you know, and then it's, it's over and done with. Then the enemy will always try to play for you the negative and the terrible parts of your life. But it is your responsibility to look beyond what you see and see with the eyes of faith. Pastor's sister, thank God she knows how to drive now, but there was a time she was one of those, maybe you know drivers too. She would be driving like this, and she'd be like, oh, what's that over there? And the steering wheel would go this way. The car would go this way. Like, Barb, 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 look, look at the street. Oh, okay. And then she'd be like, you know, the other day I was, you know, and we're like, stop looking, just look straight ahead. A race car driver was saying, he says, when, when I'm in a race, I never look at the wall because where you're looking at is where you're going to go. 
And some of you are so busy focusing on the walls of your life. You're focusing on the walls of divorce, the walls of sickness. You're looking at the walls of lack and poverty. You're looking at the walls of loneliness and depression and anxiety. And that's exactly where your life is going to go. What you see matters. But you're saying, but Pastor Ram, but, you know, I did see greatness from my life. I did have the imagination and, and, and saw with faith things that were going on in my life, but then all hell broke loose. I thought things would be different by now, but they're just the same, or maybe they're worse. But that's why I'm here. Just like God had to go back to Abraham and say, wait a second, remember the promise. You cannot give up on the promise. I want you to look at the signs. I want you to look at what I'm trying to show you. And I'm here tonight to remind you not to give up, to look at the promises of God. Look at what God has said about you. Look at the things in his word that says that you can do all things, that nothing is impossible for you. 1 Kings 18:41. There had been a drought in the land. And Elijah now is, he's, he's with his servant. He says to Ahab, he says, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of, of uh, Carmel. Then he bowed down on the ground. He put his face between his knees. I thought this was so interesting when I was, I, I just had read that. I, you know, I've, I've read that story so many times. But it just reminded me today that here he is, here's Elijah, and he's prophesying that rain is coming. And there is blue skies. There is nothing, there is no sign to tell him rain is coming. There has been a drought, a terrible drought. But what he does is he positions himself to not focus on the natural. He put his head between his knees and decided, I'm not going to look up at the sky. I'm not going to look at the blue that's up there. But I'm going to focus in on my time with God. I'm going to focus in. I'm going to be in prayer. I'm going to be in my word. I'm going to be speaking those things over my life. That's the position that we need to take sometimes. That I'm not going to look at the natural of what is going on, but I'm going to position myself to be in a place to receive what God has said is coming into my life. And it says, and he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And seven times he said, go again. Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. Now, again, that's so interesting. Now, if there had been a drought and there's been no clouds, there has been no sign that rain is coming, you are with Elijah, that you've seen some, um, uh, some incredible, miraculous things take place, that he tells you now that rain is coming, and I want you to go, and I want you to tell me what you see. And he comes back. Now, I feel, I feel, me, if I would have been Elijah's servant, that after the seventh, I would have come running back and said, oh my gosh, there is a cloud as big as a man's hand. But I thought it was very interesting that a servant comes back and says, there's a cloud, but it's small. See, there's sometimes that we get a little, you know, scent of, of a breakthrough. And we know that it's coming because we've been praying. 
we've been declaring. We know that our God is a breakthrough kind of God. We know that his promises are yes and they're amen in our life. But the problem is sometimes we get around people that go, you know, yes, you have a breakthrough, but don't get so excited. You know, I know you're talking big stuff, but it's just a small thing out there. And we need to surround ourselves with people that are going to get excited and they're going to encourage us, even if it does look like it's something small that says, oh, something big is coming your way. Something mighty is about to happen in your life. It's no small thing what God is about to do. And what Elijah then says is he, he says, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariots and go down before the rain stops you. In other words, he's telling him, you better hurry because there's a downpour that's about to overtake in your life. But it was still a small cloud. No, there was a mighty thing that was about to happen. See, Satan's goal is to get you to doubt God's word, to doubt the vision, and to doubt yourself, to rob you of your confidence, to rob you of your relationship with Jesus, to make you doubt your potential. See, the problem with doubting your potential is you'll live up to that potential. But on the flip side, when you see your potential, you'll live up to that potential. It's kind of the half glass empty or glass half full. See, we, we control where, our, uh, where we put our potential. Do we put our potential in the context of what Satan says about our lives? Or do we put our potential in the context of what the Word of God says about our life? Jeremiah 1.11 says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? God is continually asking us, what do you see? What do you see? If, if, if we go back to Ephesians 3.20 again, it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or imagine. See, the biggest that we can imagine is God's starting point. So if all you can imagine is just barely getting by each week on your paycheck, then that's God's starting point for you. And praise God, you're at least, you know, have a starting point like that. But I want to, I want to, I want to experience bigger and better. I want to see farther for my life and let that be the starting point for God. And I want to do that in my life because I want my children to see bigger and better and be able to have that be their starting point. See, my family, they tease me that I'm a little bit bougie. And I don't see it. I, don't, I really, you know. But I think it's because, uh, you know, I, when I, I, I've told you part of my testimony before, just, you know, my life when I was, you know, growing up, we lived in this farmhouse and it had no hot water. If you wanted, you couldn't take a bath because you couldn't heat the water fast enough to put it in a bathtub. So you had to, you know, you did your bath standing at the bathroom sink. Um, you know, I had to share a bedroom with my two sisters, a tiny bedroom, and I had to share a bed with one of my sisters. You know, we had to, you know, do food stamps. And I wa we wore hand-me-down clothes because my mother worked at the Salvation Army store. And I started working ever since I was 15 years old because if I wanted any extra in my life, I had to go and, and, and I had to earn it. But what happened is, is that I started at a young age of imagining better. It's not being bougie. It's just having a vision. And, you know, I, 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 there was, 
I remember this one time, I went to, uh, it was the first conference that Pastor and I were ever going to go to. He was doing music, and it was a music conference, and so we were going to go, and, you know, instantly, I'm, like, all intimidated, you know, because I know I'm going to be around some, you know, some really well-known people, and, and it was going to be a small conference, so there was no place to hide. It was going to be where you sat around these, you know, this big, huge table, and it was an honor to, to be asked to be part of it, but, I, there, my, you know, I was like, what do you what do you do? We, you know, we're, we're just, you know, these, you know, associate pastors, you know, and, and, you know, we got no money and we're trying, I'm just trying to put things together to get there. And for the break that they had during the conference, they said, oh, now there's all these beautiful shops over in this area. Um, you know, just take some shopping time. And I remember I had $20 bill and I was like, all right, I got my 20, I'm going to be going with all these women to this, you know, to all these little shops and everything. But, you know, I was just like, I'll window shop. I'm, I'm fine with window shopping. And I remember going into this store, and there was a couple of the women, and uh, they were on, actually on the panel. They were going to be, you know, they had large, part of large ministries. They were pastoring large churches. And um, they were over in this jewelry area, shopping and they had a little basket and they took up to the front and all of a sudden you know I got a little nosy so I was like what did they buy you know and I'm like oh my gosh look at those diamond rings that they're buying you know just that you know dagger in the heart kind of a thing that they're just off on a little shopping spree buying these big diamond rings and I got my $20 bill that, you know, is burning a hole in my pocket. And all of a sudden, the cashier, as she's ringing up their uh, order, uh, or their, their, their items, all of a sudden, it's like $5, you know, maybe $15. I was like, what is this? So I go over to where they had been hanging out, and I realize all these diamond rings were fake. So I bought me a $7 fake huge diamond ring. I go back to the conference, and I'm sitting uh, just a few seats away from the woman who just bought her diamond ring. And, you know, and she's just like, she's wearing it. And she's just, you know, talking and everything. So I'm like, <laughs> kind of a thing. <laughs> You know, I wore that ring so much. And I would look at that ring and I'd say, you know what, I don't care if it's fake. God, I think that one day my vision is I'm going to have a real, real diamond. I'm going to have something. Bless pastor's heart at the time. Something you don't need a magnifying glass to see. And, you know, but you might be going, Pastor Ram, that's just fake. That's just, being, that's just being phony. I'm just going to be me. I'm going to be real. Well, how's that working for you? The imagination, the vision, faith, potential that can rise up. See, I figured out I'm a child of the king. That I was called for greatness. And that it's in us to want to fulfill the potential and not settle for just whatever the world wants to dish out. The world tells you, all right, this is where you came from. This is where you're going to live. This is the best that it's ever going to get for you. And then we go, okay, 
and we live that life. Or we can rise up and go, you know what? You, don't, you cannot put me in any kind of a box because my God that owns it all, the King of kings, the Lord of lords says, and I always say this, I always say this, and then I'm his favorite so I can have the best. And you can be saying the same thing. Um, we can't be jealous of other people, what they have or what they're doing, but you got to start seeing the possibilities in your own life. Hebrews 12, 2 says, um, looking away from all that will distract us and focusing our eyes on Jesus. See, there's been setbacks in my life. There's been knockdowns. There's been things that I didn't know how to recover from. But it was during those times that if I could just hold on to the vision and keep determined to keep my eyes on Jesus, those were the times that God would pull me up. Those are the times that he would say, you know what, maybe you need to bend and put your head between your knees for a few minutes. Don't look at what's happening in the natural, but begin to see the potential of what I have for you. See, Peter was in the boat with his friends. And he saw Jesus walking on the water, and he imagined himself walking on the water just like Jesus. So he was able to get out of that boat. And it, wasn't only, it was only until he got his eyes off of Jesus that he began to sink. But you know what? He could have just sat there with, the, with his friends. Let me tell you this. If you're content with the friends you have to just sit around and complain about your sad life, you got to get some new friends. You got to get somebody that's going to be around you that is going to say, I love you enough to tell you stop settling in your life. I love you enough to tell you get off your butt and to do what God has called you to do. I know it hurts. I know you've gone through some things. I know you feel left out. I know you feel forsaken. I know that you feel like it's never, ever going to break through for you. But if you if you stay content in your discontentment, you're going to miss out on what God has for your life. We were created for more. Some of you are going, yeah, but you, I'm going to get up tomorrow and go to my job. Praise God you got a job. Praise God that you're not in a situation where you have to beg and borrow and steal. Thank God that, you know, of what do you have that you can look at, that you can say, you know what, I didn't have this before, but praise God I've got this today. And I might have had better before, and I don't have now, but praise God I don't have to try and imagine that. I know I can look at pictures about that. And I can know, I know how to get back there. Dodie Osteen, when they sent her home with cancer, stage four terminal cancer, and they said, we, there's nothing else that anybody could do for you. You need to go home. Just be with your family. You've probably got weeks to live, if, if that. And she tells a story how she would put pictures around her room, pictures of her riding on, on her horse, Picture of her playing with her grandkids. Picture of her with her husband doing something, you know, fun. And she would put these pictures around her room, and as she laid there in her bed, she would look at that picture and say, I'm going to do that again. God, I thank you for my healing. I'm going to ride on that horse again. God, I thank you for, that for my healing, that my, I'm going to have a, a long life with my husband, that I'm going to be able to enjoy my children and my grandchildren. And you know what? That was over 30 years ago. She's still living today. 
because she allowed the vision. She was not going to allow distractions. And I'm asking you right now, what are the distractions, the walls, the barriers, the bar, uh, blockades that you've been looking at in your life? Maybe they're words that have been spoken over you or words that you spoke over your own life. Maybe they're walls of the past or distractions of what you see or don't see in the natural. But I want to just tell you, you have to take the limits off your miracle work in God and see all that God is doing and can do in your world. Get a vision board, guys. I have a vision board, and it's right next to my desk at home. I look at this all the time. I've gone through magazine and magazines, and I've cut pictures out. I have decided, you know what, I, things that I want to do in my own life, I'll type it up, I'll put it on the board. Pastor laughed at me the other day because there's this restaurant that we love to go to, and, and um, I asked if I could have one of their menus just because I love the artwork on it. And I didn't want to bend it, so I stuck it on my vision board. <laughs> and Pastor walked in and goes, what, what do you got a restaurant menu on your vision board? Is there something that... <laughs> I said, yeah, I want to go back to that place. It's really good food. But I got my vision board, and I have my confessions, and I put that on my board. You need to begin to write out a confession over your life. What direction do you want to see your life go in? You need to have direction. You need to get the Word of God. It's like your GPS. Get that Word. Get those directions. Get that vision. Get that, get that thing that's on the inside of you and put it out on paper and start seeing again because what you look at matters. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah.